This week we have our second interview with a Dutch surrogate mother. But before we begin, we do talk about miscarriages in this week's episode. If you're sensitive to the subject, you may wish not to listen. My name is Connor James, and you're listening to The Daddy Issue. This week we're talking to Sana. As well as being a surrogate, Sana is an educator and has a child from a previous relationship. I came into contact with Sana via Svanger von Ander, which means pregnant for somebody else. The same group who linked me to Esfer from episode 6. I'm going to be honest with you, my head was not in the best of places when recording this interview. As Sana and I spoke, my boyfriend was in hospital, incredibly sick with the coronavirus. I'd spent the evening before standing outside in the cold for several hours, just in case he was discharged, after what began as back pain a week earlier turned into breathing problems. I decided to go on with the show, to keep my mind focused and stop it from scaring me. Kevin has since made a full recovery, but it took a long time and months of hard work just for him to get to this point. Okay, so you may be thinking, Connor, what has this got to do with parenting? Well, not a lot, and also quite a lot. You see, when I came home that night, I wasn't sure when, or to be more honest with you, if I'd be welcoming Kevin home again. It was a terrifying and sobering experience. While we're both still the same people you heard at the very beginning of the series, this incident has shifted our priorities even more than the pandemic had already managed to. A lot of stuff simply didn't matter anymore, and still doesn't to this very day. The question of family, however, well, that remained important to us. We'll have to reflect on this later on down the road, but interviewing Sana, even if I was a little bit out of place in my own home, was an inspiring and grounding experience. Now, I wish I could share with you everything that was discussed on and off mic, but if I did that for all of my guests, well, each episode would be five hours long, and I don't think you'd enjoy that so much. So anyway, enough about me. Let's listen to Sana's story. Sana, thanks again for being on the show. And perhaps you'd like to tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do for a living. Yes. Hi. Um, um, my name is Sana. Um, I am um, from Arnhem, a city in the Easter side of Netherlands. Um, I work as a school leader in a special needs school, so children with uh, severe disabilities. And uh, yeah, I've been living in, um, I am originally from Netherlands, but I've been back here for about four years now. Okay. Where did you live before the Netherlands? I lived in England for four years and I lived in India for almost eight years. Oh, wow. Oh, that's a really long time. I didn't know you lived in India Yes. That's really cool. I'm kind of jealous now. Um, (laughs) Okay, so I was wondering how you become a surrogate. Is it something which 
you always wanted to do? No, actually, my first experience with surrogacy was in India because I used to see advertisements for egg donors and surrogates. And to me, that meant that this is something that women do who are in need of money because that's why women in India do it. And a few years later, when I lived in England, I uh, met someone online, a woman from the Netherlands who was a surrogate for two men. And it was the first time that I realized, okay, you can actually do this because you want to become a surrogate. Yeah, so I guess in India, it's completely commercial. Um, Here in the Netherlands, obviously, it's it's very different. I was wondering when you did decide to do this in the Netherlands, was it always your intention to do it for a gay couple, for example? Or was it more something which you wanted to do for anybody who couldn't achieve natural childbirth, like regardless of uh, sexuality or gender? Yeah, I started to get serious about being a surrogate back in England because one of my friends, a straight couple, she couldn't conceive. And that was the first time that I actually thought, well, I could maybe do it for her. At the end, she was able to conceive with a lot of treatments. And I subscribed with an organization in England called Surrogacy UK. And that was still, at that time, mostly for straight couples. And post-surrogacy was, well, the norm. So I signed up, I got a lot of information, and then Brexit happened because (laughs) I knew I was going to go back to Netherlands. They told me, well, we can't help you then because we, well, really want you to be in England. So that's when I subscribed at uh, this Dutch forum called Zwanger voor een Ander, introduced myself, and I got a message from a really nice guy. And when you spoke to them first, was it just to figure out how it worked in the Netherlands? Or did you already have an idea of how it worked? No, I had no idea at all. I subscribed because I wanted to find out more information. I quickly found out that the process in England is very different from the Netherlands because it's way better organized over there. So I was expecting almost somebody like to send me a, a welcome package and to tell me exactly where to go to and what to do and none of that happened though there was a lot of information shared online and I was still living in England at the time so when I introduced myself I also said well I'm I'm living in London now I'm going to be moving to Netherlands well maybe in the next six to twelve months so I'm not looking for anyone right now I'm just here for the information so the first message I got was um, exactly that like saying well hey welcome here and it's nice of you to even consider this and uh, what is London like and absolutely nothing about surrogacy. And that gave me a chance to take my own time to find out what I actually wanted. Yeah. And how did you go about finding out what you actually wanted? Did you attend some workshops here in the Netherlands? For example, there is Meiden Gewens, so more than wished for. I know they're one of the biggest organizations over here. Mm-hmm. Or did you just talk to other surrogates to figure out how it all worked for them? Like, how how did you go about figuring out this is something I definitely want to do and this is how I want to do it? Mostly talking to other surrogates. I don't think I knew meer dan gewenst then. And I I had this picture in my head that uh, as a surrogate, you should do a whole surrogacy. That was the thing to do. And it was only because I started reading about other surrogates' experiences that I actually questioned myself like why why shouldn't i go for straight surrogacy because it's 
way more easier. So it was very slowly. So I, I really started from, okay, I want to find a straight couple, a whole surrogacy. I have to go to a hospital. And slowly, slowly over the months, I started to realize, well, that's actually not what I want. I want to yeah, yeah. use my own eggs and do it at home in a much more natural environment. Yeah. So you chose in the end to do surrogacy by a home insemination. Yeah, correct. Right? Yeah. So once you'd kind of decided then that I want to do, I, I want to be a surrogate and I know how I want to do it. I want to do it um, with home insemination. Mm -hmm. Did you then open up a conversation with friends and family or had you already done that? No, no, because that same guy who sent me a message that first day, uh, we kept in touch. So um, I work in education, he works in education. So we were chatting about that. He was just a very nice guy. And he and his husband were talking to another surrogate uh, from Belgium. So he was telling me all about the process and I was very interested. And uh, at some point I had moved to Netherlands and we agreed to meet up because we've been chatting for about six months at that time. And I went over to their house and, well, it almost felt like I fell in love with them. I really liked them. They were such nice men. And I remember coming home at night and talking to a friend and telling her, you know, I feel really bad, but I actually hope they kind of break up with their Belgium circuit and choose me because I really, really like these guys. Um, <laughs> so it was, yeah, like a friendship that we developed and they felt the same about me, luckily. So it wasn't pre-planned or anything. And that's why I think it went so well, because we we started from a friendship. Would you say that's maybe the most important component of this is having that, you mentioned it's like falling in love, but it, I think it is, I've spoken to some other surrogates and they all say the same thing, that when they found the person or the couple they were going to surrogate for, they mm -hmm. kind of felt like they were dating again in this yeah. weird non-romantic way. So do you yeah. think that is like the most important part is having that relationship and that trust between both sides yeah to me it is uh, definitely and not something that i expected when i started this journey because definitely in india but maybe even in england uh, the whole point is that you kind of like become pregnant uh, you give up the baby and that's it and uh, the experiences in netherlands taught me that you actually develop a friendship for life and some yeah you actually are in a relationship for life so once you decided together that you're going to have a baby that you're going to be the surrogate how did you then go on to develop this relationship further with the intended parents and did it change once you'd kind of successfully got pregnant well it it actually took some time before we really started to try i think the first time i met them was in august 2017 and um, then in december that year we came together like officially we had had one date in between but in december we uh, we had discussed uh, our uh, preferences and uh, we had a really long talk about so what do you want what do they want and then we figured okay we really like the same things let's give this a shot we would meet up at least every month more often than not twice a month we would go on walks we would go do things together have dinners together i met their parents they met my friends and this easily took another eight months uh, we went camping together as well just to make sure that we really enjoyed each other's company wow that's really like dating then so you spent almost yeah. a year maybe more than a year 
getting to know each other, meeting their parents and stuff, I guess really become kind of an extended part of their family as well, yeah. right? Yeah. When did you finally decide, okay, let's let's do this? What was it that made that, that decision finally kind of happen? What prompted it was actually that I was still legally married to my, well, now ex-husband in India. And I had heard from my lawyer that the divorce papers would go through um, somewhere in 2018. So then we figured from June, maybe we could start trying for a baby because then for sure the divorce was going to be through. And in August, we went to see a lawyer because until that time, we hadn't even considered that, which was very naive looking back. But well, we were just... Well, it almost felt like we we're still so in love and we figured like it's all going to be fine and who needs a lawyer anyway and big mistake I now know. So I think in August we went to see the lawyer in Amsterdam and I think two weeks after that I found out that I was actually pregnant because we had already started trying. So yeah, that was it's almost one and a half years after the first contact that got pregnant. Yeah, that's quite a long time, but I guess really important to know that relationship is a yeah. good one because you're going to be carrying a child for um, nine months yeah. uh, and you want that to be strong. And of course, the divorce as well was probably very important because of how it works in the Netherlands. Yeah. If, if you had of been the surrogate and pregnant while still married, then your ex-husband would have also been legally the father of the child, right? Correct. Yeah. And that's something we definitely didn't want. No. Neither did he, by the way. But then you can't change the law. So he, well, he would have been the father and the child would have had his name as well as a last name. And we really didn't want that. So No. And it's a lot of paperwork, especially if your yeah. ex-husband is in India. From what I understand, the husband of the surrogate has to then also formally declare that they did not recognize the child as their own yeah, so the adoption correct. process can go ahead yeah i'm supposing the lawyer already let you guys know about this and did what, what did what did the lawyer advise your next steps should be what she did is that she painted two scenarios so one where i would still be married and one where i would be divorced so she wrote down exactly what would happen and it uh, became very evident that it was so much easier if I were single. So she did kind of advise us to make sure the divorce was true before going on. But then, well, as I said, we were already trying. So it was a bit too late for that. <laughs> but then... Yeah. So the advice is for anybody listening is please make sure you get legal uh, advice before you start. Yes, anything. definitely. Definitely. Um, regardless of which country you're in. And I'm wondering, now that we've just talked about the whole divorce scenario and the extra layer of complication if a surrogate has a partner, does that mean that the majority of surrogates, at least from what you see, are the majority of surrogates in the Netherlands um, single? No, I would, I would think the opposite, actually. Because if you want to go for host surrogacy, they actually tell you that you have to be in a relationship. Oh, wow. Because they think that if you're single, it's going to be too taxing on you. And so they actually want you to have a partner before you become a surrogate. I, I assume that is because when you're going through a process like IVF, the people providing the IVF have an obligation to make sure that everybody involved is safe and healthy. Uh, yeah. Because if anything wants to go wrong, then it could bounce back on yeah. them as yeah. well. And especially because I know in the Netherlands, um, IVF is even tricky for same-sex couples yeah. to access. Yeah. Or even worse, I have this hormonal disorder called PCOS. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so my uh, cycle is very irregular and I did go to the hospital, uh, see my gynecologist and asked her for some very simple medication. And when she heard I was going to be a surrogate, she said no. And not because she didn't um, want to give it, but she's not allowed by the hospital. Because okay. as a surrogate for a gay couple, when you're trying this at home, you don't get any help. Like nothing at all. They won't even offer you simple medication? No, no, wow. no. And I was very surprised because I know that uh, they say there has to be a medical need. And I understand that legally or whatever the word is, two men don't have medical need. But I was the person with the medical needs. So I figured they will give me the medicines, but no. So they treat it as if it's the intended parents who have the need and not the surrogate. Wow, that's really strange. And it's funny you said that because the European Union have only recently, I think in the past three months, changed the definition of infertility to include people who can't have children because of their sexuality or Mm -hmm. gender. That obviously right now doesn't mean anything. That's just... uh, a European guideline that's up to the individual countries like the Netherlands to decide what that means but yeah I'm hoping that at least that helps maybe nudge these things in a direction that makes it a little bit easier but it's still crazy that they wouldn't give you some medication because yeah. you're a surrogate wow yeah. that's um yeah I didn't expect that me neither <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> so now that you're pregnant at this point do you close friends and family know um, yeah yeah okay I had told him from the beginning, I have a son who is now 10 years old, but he was six when um, I first started to really like seriously look into surrogacy. So I, I told him already then, and he was okay with it. Um, I quite soon told my friends as well, uh, my parents, my brother, some mixed reactions, especially my father found it quite difficult because he was like, so I'm going to have a grandchild who is not going to be my grandchild. And he found it very difficult to deal with, especially in the beginning. But mostly people were very positive. And how did you deal with that with your father then? Was it something which you just let time fix it? Or did you feel obliged to kind of explain it more to him, like what the process was? Well, I understood what his why he was worried. And I did talk to him a few times, but it was only, I think, after baby was born that he was okay with it. And he was actually very, very proud as well. So oh, that's it great took to some time. Yeah. Yeah. So now that you're pregnant, mm-hmm. I was wondering... How did that immediately affect your relationship with the desired parents? Well, we were all like very, very happy. I uh, had called them up uh, when I found out because I did the testing uh, myself on my own. And then when I realized it was positive, I asked if they could come over and meet me at school with some fake excuse. And then I told them, well, there's something that I really want to talk to you about um and in dutch we have an expression like there's something bothering me my tummy and then um i told him well it's that or actually i should say it's something nice in my tummy and well so they got the the hint um (laughs) they were well they were very happy they pretty much immediately told their parents uh they were really happy i told my friends some of my friends Uh, But then I was around six weeks and I miscarried. And that was really, really rough. And also something that we hadn't even thought about because you take such a long time to become pregnant and then finally your fairy tale is there and 
it goes wrong. It's like this shouldn't happen because, well, <laughs> this was all planned and meant to be. Yeah, that's terrible. How did you guys then handle that scenario? Did you decide to take take a pause and maybe go see a doctor or something before continuing again? Or did that take a while to get back into a position where you guys wanted to start again? No, it didn't take well because what it taught me, taught us, is that our bond was really, really strong. They were there with me for, um, well, every doctor. So they were there for me the whole time. Uh, they went to all the visits and it made us realize even more how much we wanted this. And it made me realize that I really wanted this because if at that point I would have felt even the slightest bit of, oh, thank God it didn't go through, I would have known that this wasn't the path for me but it was so quite soon after that i think immediately after we had the clears from the doctors we tried again and then it was december just before christmas when we had our second positive pregnancy test and this time did you guys wait a little bit longer before kind of telling people that you were pregnant or was that not really needed at that point we i think we did indeed i think you get your first ultrasound when you're about eight weeks pregnant. It was Christmas holidays and I went to India for my son to see his father. And in India, very luckily, you can just walk into any hospital, ask for the gynecologist and get some blood tests done. So you can see your HCG levels that show that you're pregnant. So I went into the hospital three or four times during those 10 days. And I saw it rising really nicely. But then it was going up really fast. So the gynecologist said, well, maybe you should get it checked as soon as you get back from holidays because it might be twins. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I don't want to have twins. <laughs> so when, when I came back, the fathers had called uh, the midwife and we went for the scan. It was just one and it was very healthy and everything was fine. And because we saw that with six weeks, uh, we started telling people. Well, it's great that in the end it worked out. Yeah. And in India as well. So at least you had a nice, a warm, hot, a warm Christmas. Yeah. Uh, yes. No, this isn't an advertisement break. I'm not going to try and sell you a mattress yet. But I am going to ask you to rate and review this podcast on your podcasting app as well as subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Not only will you get a little notification when a new episode drops, but you'll help increase our visibility too. If you really want to keep on top of the show, then you should follow us on social media. We're available on Instagram at the Daddy Issue Pod, Twitter at Daddy Issue Pod, and you can find us on Facebook too by searching for The Daddy Issue. All of these links are available on our website too, which is thedaddyissue.org. Thank you so much for your support. Now, Back to this week's episode. I guess this is when the relationship becomes maybe a little bit more intense, right? Because now, of course, you already have this really strong bond and it's yeah. only been, been stronger with time and challenge. Yeah, at one hand, uh, we became much closer because we were already seeing each other once or twice a month, but it only became more. Also because uh, the first trimester, I was quite sick, um, very tired. I had to get medication. So they came over a lot to even just do my groceries, do some cooking, stuff like that. We went to a lot of like events together for, you know, around Saturday, around pregnancy, which is really nice. Uh, we went on some course together. 
So they could be there for me when I was giving birth. So that really intensified. But at the same time, there were very clearly two paths as well, because I was pregnant and I was looking forward to giving birth, but they were already much more ahead because they were planning uh, the nursery. They were planning who's going to take care of the baby on which stage. They were thinking about the name. And that's kind of like felt separate. I guess when you're pregnant for a child that is your own, then you kind of go into nesting mode, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas in this case, the intended parents, like uh, they go into nesting mode because yeah, they have the benefit and they're not carrying the baby. So they can, they can start painting the walls and stuff already. Yeah. If you woke up and you felt really sick, could you call them to come and help you out around the yeah. house? Um, yes, definitely. So very much a team, yeah. a small family unit, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they lived about an hour and 20 minutes away. So it's not like we were next door neighbors, but they would all the time. Whenever I called them, they would come over even just for like 15 minutes, half an hour if needed. They've also taken Noah, uh, my eldest, uh, to stay with them for the weekend so I could just relax. Yeah, They've done all my gardening because obviously when you're pregnant, you can't do any gardening because of possible cat shit that might be there and dangerous <laughs> <laughs> so, so it, it really helped and, and by that time we were also a lot closer so when one of the intended parents his parents were i think it was their 40th wedding anniversary i was also invited you become part of the family you do feel like some like a daughter-in-law but for a gay son it's it's very strange but their parents also said at some point like you do feel like our daughter-in-law that's really nice i guess also good to have that bond with the parents because they're going to be the grandparents yeah and part of your world so it's really nice to hear that for you it becomes like a real sort of family-in-law i suppose yeah just about the marriage and speaking of then being pregnant did you have to explain quite a lot to people and um, when when you were visibly pregnant that you were actually a surrogate yeah very often i mean people around me knew obviously but whenever i met strangers in the beginning i would explain it all the time because i was very very proud but later on i noticed that i stopped doing it because people react very positive i've never had any negative comments but at some point i got a bit tired of always hearing like oh that's so great you're such an angel you're amazing and i was like no i'm just bloated i'm fat i'm pregnant i'm you know i'm also just another human being and i just want to get my hair done and i don't want to talk about how amazing i am so it might have been the hormones as well so at some point i stopped explaining to everyone and anyone that I was a surrogate. I can imagine wanting to do that. It's obviously very different, but when you're gay as well and you explain to people when they say, oh, what's your girlfriend called? And you go, well, I have a boyfriend and he's called Kevin. Then you always get the whole, oh, you're gay. Oh, wow. I know somebody who's gay. Like the, yeah, the, the story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it just all becomes about that when actually, you know, you're just, you're the dentist or whatever, you know, you just want <laughs> you don't want to have this conversation. You don't want to have to explain to somebody what yeah. LGBTQ means when you're uh, getting your hair cut, you know, like uh, yeah. I can totally understand. Yeah. Um, so if we skip ahead then to the birth, I'm really curious to hear your labor story. Um, you don't have to go into detail, but I wonder like, where were you when it happened and where were the uh, intended parents? Yeah. Um, so I uh, was supposed to give birth in the hospital because there were some small complications with my eldest. The hospital is about, I think, 20 minutes drive from my house and we were all prepared to go there. So the idea was that uh, both the fathers would be there. My best friend would be there because I had asked her, I think even before I got pregnant, if she would please be there for the birth. 
and then we had a photographer as well. So in the middle of the night, my water broke and I called everyone up and I think they were here around eight in the morning, but nothing had happened yet. So my midwife came to check on me and she was like, well, yeah, your water broke, but that's it. So it can take another 24 hours. So yeah, just sit around and wait. And we were like, okay, so... Because somewhere in my head, my first delivery went quite fast. So I had expected for this to go super fast as well. And we had this whole scenario that we would like run to the car and throw suitcases in and drive like <laughs> ne- <laughs> to the hospital. And then we're just sitting there on the couch thinking, okay, so yeah, let's just wait. So we dropped my son to school and uh, we went for a walk, went for another walk. Thing happened, watched some telly. And then it was around 12 in the afternoon, so noon, and my son was supposed to come back from school again. So we were like, well, let's get some lunch. I went to the supermarket and suddenly I felt a bit like, okay, this might be the first contractions. So then I came home at around 12.30. I called the midwife. Uh, She came over immediately. She checked me and she was like, oh, you're like almost fully dilated. So (laughs) no one's going to go to any hospital. If you are going to stay here, we're going to do this here and now. So I was like, okay. I was nine centimeters. I actually ran down the stairs where everyone was waiting. I told them, we're staying home. And they were like, no, we've just packed the cars. I was like, unpack the cars. So they all came. (laughs) Everyone came back inside the house. And um, our son was born at 1.46. So... About an hour later, he was out. So I'm I'm always kind of joking that I'm still waiting for the bad contractions because it was super easy, super fast. Fathers were there. The midwife was there. A photographer, my friend, exactly how we had planned. Yeah, beautiful. And how does it feel if you compare it to when you give birth to your eldest son? How does it feel when you give birth to a child as a surrogate? Does it feel any different? Like, um, it was a completely different birth but there was mostly because my eldest was in India and the hospital there was no way you could deliver at home there so we were in the hospital quite early it felt like like a medical thing that you had to do because there's doctors all around and nurses all around and they put me in like this protective cloth and everything and right after birth they took uh, Noah away because they wanted to do some checkups and I think it took one and a half hours before I got him back so it was very different. And with Jeppe, who is a surrogate child, he was put with me immediately. So I held him. I actually breastfed him immediately. It was all very calm and natural. And I think the first thing I noticed was that he looked a lot like my son. And even my best friend was like, oh, it's exactly Noah when he was small. And he was just the most gorgeous boy um, on earth. The fathers uh, went downstairs. Uh, They started to call everyone and anyone because they have to stitch you up and all like gross details that I will not go into detail about. So once that was done and I had calmed down and he had had his milk, there was the moment that I actually handed him over to his fathers. And that was the most beautiful moment of that day and probably top of the most beautiful moments of my life. So I can imagine it's a really humbling and incredible experience to, I mean, I say, I can imagine I I can't get pregnant. So I I can't, I guess I I can't imagine, but I I suspect it's probably really humbling and 
just so many yeah. emotions when on, on all sides when you're giving the gift of literally giving yeah. the gift of life to somebody yeah i'm very happy the photographer was there so because she she captured that moment beautifully because you can see the happiness at one hand but also the emotions because i was overwhelmed with happiness but also crying my eyes out because it suddenly hit me like i'm giving my child away it's my child it's it was very very emotional and it it's at the same time it was almost like uh, formality is not the right word but like within five minutes i had him back because he was hungry and again and he wanted to drink so i gave him the fathers and then <laughs> when he got hungry i had him back again so it wasn't like a definite thing kind of like in the movies when a moment happens and then the music makes yeah. that, that noise <laughs> <laughs> like that. and yeah. it goes back to normal I think that's actually a really interesting point to now go into. I was wondering kind of how your relationship then changed um, because you were quite involved, right? If, if, yeah. if I'm right, you were very involved in the first uh, yeah. months. True. So we had agreed to do like the maternity week at the parents' house. So my son, my eldest, got leave from school as well. So we could all go there. And so the maternity nurse was there. So she did my checkups, did the baby's checkups help the dads with everything. And yeah, I was taken care of really well as well, which was really nice. Um, so I wanted to pump milk for him. So I did um, uh, exclusive pumping, it's called, uh, which takes a lot of time and effort, especially in the beginning. Um, so I was mostly like upstairs, uh, resting, pumping, um, trying to get back to normal and the fathers were really busy with the baby. So they were taught everything from how to give the bottle, how to give bath, how to dress, how to make sure, I don't know, the bath temperature is right and everything that one needs to know. And I tried really hard to stay out of that because obviously when you're a mom or when you're parents, you want to give advice, which I didn't want to do at all because they they did things different than I would have done, but it's fine because they did things their way and they were doing a really great job. I've heard that a lot. My my mother taught me that if you do ever decide to have a child and it doesn't matter how you have this child, if it's for adoption or surrogacy, that yeah. everybody is going to give you advice. And she said that, you know, that the grandparents of the yeah. child will tell yes. her that everything you do is wrong <laughs> yeah. because everybody has their own opinion. But it's also very interesting to hear that you kind of deliberately took that step even though you're in the same space, to, to let the intended parents, you know, figure it out kind of. But I think it was also because they um, gave me all the space that I needed. So if I said, I really want to hold him now and I need to cuddle with him for an hour, it was fine. If I said like, you know, we first agreed that I would only like live breastfeed him for one or two times. At the end, I did it for the first 36 hours and they were fine with that. They were not at all scared that I would get to attach or anything of that sort. So they really gave me the space and time to do everything at my own pace and that has really helped me because i got that trust i was able to trust them that's it's fine i think that's actually an important subject to touch upon because i was going to ask you what if you decided at the moment of birth that you didn't want to have your child adopted by mm -hmm. the um, intended parents so 
I could have stopped the adoption for the second dad. Uh, the biological dad was already on the birth system. So after I gave birth, I was a legal parent and uh, the biological father was a legal parent. But custody was fully mine. So if I would have wanted, I could have maybe even kept full custody, uh, though he could have thought that at court because he was the biological father and then both of us would have had the same legal rights but the second dad would have had none so nothing at all for a lot of parents that's quite a scary aspect of surrogacy right what would you say to those people to help them feel more at ease you know like how to help them feel not so obsessive over that that risk it almost never happens and at the same time a surrogate is at risk as well because most surrogates do this uh, because they don't want to have a baby um, and in the same way if they would have said at that point well sorry uh, second thoughts we don't want this baby i would have been stuck because i would have been the legal parent i would have had custody and at most i could have gone to court and make sure that maybe i get some alimony but that's it. So if they would have said no, I would have been stuck with the baby. So that's probably the easiest way to explain this to anybody who is concerned is that the stakes are high on yeah. both sides. But that's also why you dated for more than yeah. one year to kind of build that yeah. relationship up and get that trust. For you guys, that wasn't a concern no. at all in the room because you knew each no. other so well. And it's also why you need to get proper legal advice. So even though we had an amazing friendship, uh, we still have to this date. We did go to the lawyer. Uh, we had an extensive agreement. And our agreement also says that I will always have to write to see him at least once a month if ever uh, the parents and I would get into a fight. But also that he would have the right to see me at least once a month. So there's also a clause that says that I can't just say, well, sorry, I gave birth to you and that's it. I mean go on and live your life it works both ways yeah so if you're going then you agree to have like uh one day a month of like access uh, to your child um yeah okay which yeah. is sometimes different because some surrogates choose just to leave that 100 percent to the intended parents right yeah but then we all we didn't think that was doing right by the child because a child we feel always has the right to know um, his biological background uh, and as I said, uh, he looked like my eldest son. I'm sure that later we would have found out other things that maybe he inherited from my side of the family. And it just feels very wrong to deny the role of the biological mother because I am the biological mother. Nothing changes that. And I don't want to take care of him on a daily basis. But you can't just deny that I'm there because, well, I'm there. I think that's also really important. You hear a lot of stories from kids who adopted, for example, who really just have this urge to find out who their biological parents are. Maybe not even to meet them, but just to know, even if it's just a DNA test, like yeah. where they come from. So I think it's really important. And I guess yeah. it's just important that in these situations, the um, surrogates and the intended parents agree on something which works for both ways for them, yeah. um, whatever they're most comfortable yeah. with. I have to say that also changed during our pregnancy, because if um, I think back of our first agreement, for example, it says things like uh, when it's Mother's Day, I don't want to get any gifts or attention because, you know, I'm not like a mother that's uh, where you celebrate Mother's Day for and I don't want to be called Mama. I'm just Sanna. Um, and then after he was born, that's very quickly changed. 
because um, I had spent that week with them. I went back to my own house and I think two days later I was going back to visit them. And uh, one of the dads actually told me that, you know, I was going to tell the baby, Sanne is coming. And he was like, it felt so wrong. It's like, like you're some distant friend. So I told him, well, mama is coming and it felt so much better. And I was obviously full of hormones as well. So I cried and I cried. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I want to be mama. So you guys chose to keep uh, that name. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. So then, then I was just like, fine, I'm going to be his mom. He has two dads and a mom. And well, that's what it is. And I also got a really nice card for Christmas. That's his auntie, who's also a child minder. Uh, she made it for the whole family. So she also made me a card with his baby feet on it. Very cute. Um, so I was just, I had I had my place in that family. It felt natural as well, which I guess is the most important. Yeah. And it's really nice to hear. But I guess yeah. that's different for every single situation. And it depends just as much on the surrogate. Yeah. Correct. Because there's also definitely surrogates who don't want that, who very clearly say, I'm not the mother. I've just done uh, the pregnancy and that's it. And that's fine as well. I think as long as you are honest to your child from the beginning, it's okay. So I guess... As somebody who has gone through this process, I was wondering if there's anything maybe legally or societally that you think needs to change to help make these kinds of processes, these kinds of families make easier to happen. I wish the, the legal side would change that surrogacy is part of some form of legislation. Because what I found very, very hard was when I had to give up custody, I uh, had to sign a letter stating that I am um, emotionally, or I don't know what it was, but basically unfit to be a mother and that the child could potentially be in danger. And um, even though I knew that this was just you know part of the process, it had to be done, I found it really hard, especially because uh, I work in a school and I have seen parents uh, who had to sign this and they well for whatever reasons um, they were really unfit and I'm not like that I mean I'm perfectly capable of taking care of a child uh, but it's simply because the law states in Netherlands that you can't just give up your child it's it's illegal and I really wish that that would change we didn't have to go to court so that has improved already because I think uh, a couple of years ago everyone had to go to court courts and um, we didn't have to so we filed all the paperwork and um, again um, two years later then but uh, sorry one year later uh, just before Christmas we got the paperwork from the court stating that custody had gone to uh, one of the dads and that the other one could adopt in three months after um, so that has gone better but the process itself is just not nice at no all. and I spoke to another surrogate mother who will also be on the show and she said the exact same thing about the having to declare yourself as an unfit mother, which feels yeah. really painful. And she said, even though she knew yeah. it was coming, um, when it does come, it just hits you in the face. And I think it's also yeah. really unfair on the whole family and in general, um, everybody in the future, because with this bit of court paper, it kind of erases what you did as a surrogate mother. It's not... It's not on the record. So when you look at this from no. a purely black and white point of view, 
it just looks like somebody gave up their child. It doesn't tell the the real story. So I yep. really hope that in the Netherlands and in any other country where it's similar that this can be changed because you're not an unfit mother. Um, you are a surrogate mother. And I think it's an insult to not give you that recognition, at least on that bit of paper. And it's an insult to the future generations who, if they aren't told that um, this was a surrogacy, will never know because the papers don't look like that. I was wondering also if you have any advice to somebody who's listening, who is maybe considering becoming a surrogate themselves. Just do it. No, that, that's too easy. <laughs> um, well, find a lot of information. There is the website, uh, both Zwanger uh, Voorenander, as well as Meer Dan Gewenst, are full of information. There's a very active Facebook group as well. Uh, there's a closed group just for surrogates where uh, there's lots of activity and uh, lots of questions are asked and answered as well. And I think, you know, it, it's the, the most beautiful thing that you will probably do. That's what, what I think and what a lot of circuits tell me as well. Um, but it's also a lot harder than you imagine in the beginning. Um, and it can be physically harder. Uh, there are surrogates who have a lot of physical problems during the pregnancy or even maybe during birth or after birth that you just don't think of because you want this beautiful fairy tale story, but it doesn't always happen. And emotionally, it is hard. And I think even if you want to do a host uh, surrogacy, even though it's not your egg, there's still a baby inside you it's going inside your tummy it, it has literally like your blood and and everything um and i i i really want to tell people don't underestimate and what about then on the other side people who are listening who are maybe considering fulfilling their wish to be parents with a surrogate say don't underestimate the process pregnancy is beautiful but it's hard on the surrogate so be there for them every step of the way and take your time um, I think when uh, people, intended parents, join uh, the Facebook group, uh, they have already uh, talked about this for months, maybe even years. And it sometimes feels that they feel that now once uh, we have introduced ourselves, now next thing you will know is that we'll, need, we'll meet uh, a surrogate and then next month we'll be at um, the lawyer and the month after we'll be pregnant. But it doesn't work that way. Also, well, realize that it might not happen. Uh, sad as it is, there are way more intended parents than there are surrogates. Yeah, it's awful, but it's it's true. And, you know, I understand why you might get almost desperate at some point, but it doesn't help you at all. Because you, you do not have the right to become a parent. How unfair it is, because it is unfair. I think that's actually a really good point, um, that anybody can and should be a parent if they're fit to do so but that doesn't give you an automatic right to have a child that depends on oh. a lot of things and in terms of surrogacy it depends on if there's a surrogate out there who wants to carry a child for you and that could be down to availability there's a lot more people who want to have a child than people who are able to carry them for them yeah or down to other stuff which may or may not be in your control but you shouldn't obsess over that that's also why i'm in a way doing this podcast because we don't know yet if we want to become parents, myself and my partner, but it's very complex for us to become parents. And I think mm -hmm. maybe in general, 
queer people are kind of used to this idea of not getting their hopes up, if that makes sense, because we live in a world which isn't mm. entirely built for us. So we're kind of used to compromise, which is why I want to look at all these different options. But I think that's a really important point, which you just said, which I think everybody should kind of take note of and remember is that even if you want to have a child, you don't have that right to have a child. So don't, yeah. that's not to say don't, don't get your hopes up and don't try. But I think it is important to note that when you are trying, just bear in mind that it might not work out, um, which I think is really important advice to kind of take this in maybe a less uh, emotionally beautiful path. I was wondering if you have any kind of advice for people who want to do this via surrogacy, what kind of financial obligations they should expect to meet? Because I think it's a question that a lot of people are scared to ask. Uh, is mm-hmm. the cost of this of course it's different in prices based on if you go for something like ivf versus um home insemination yeah. but in general do you, do you would you advise um i don't expect you to give me uh, a number because um yeah this is so different but would you advise that intended parents at least speak to some experts to get an idea of what their chosen route is going to cost them and also kind of have yeah. some kind of uh understand that there are fiscal obligations well i think for host surrogacy if you go the ivf route um especially for gay couples there's only one or two clinics in netherlands who uh, do that and they are very open about it that it will cost you around 25 to thirty thousand euros doing it at home is obviously much cheaper you will still have to pay uh, for any doctor visits most of the uh, most of that is free anyway in Netherlands, but like blood works uh, have to be paid for. Um, you are expected to pay for maternity clothes. Usually intended parents also pay for some extras like getting a massage or a very silly things like your feet grow when you're getting pregnant, when you get pregnant, so you need new shoes. Um, and then there is an advice uh, given to the government that uh, surrogates should get uh, an allowance of 500 euros a month. And that's still under debate. So they haven't accepted it yet as a law, but I think it's a good starting point. Yeah, and I suppose that's also something which you need to discuss with the surrogate and find out what they want yeah. and what they're comfortable yeah. with. And then you can work out an arrangement. Yeah. But I think it's good to know this stuff. I know this is obviously very specific to the Netherlands. Um, people will have to research this a little bit more in their own home country if they're not listening from the Netherlands. But I think it's very good to bear in mind. And it's something that I certainly want to explore later on in the series is the financial aspects of this. If you do that, please uh, look into uh, Eastern European countries as well because they're cheaper, but they treat the surrogates horribly. So we, uh, like on the forum, on the Facebook group, always tell people don't go there just don't do it because the agencies will tell you that everything is perfect and the surrogates are treated so well but it's not reality and also another thing is uh, legally there's a lot of problems so we've had cases that a child was born in for example Croatia and it couldn't get home because the laws are so different and people kind of forget that because again these agencies will promise you everything and anything yeah and I think that's a really good point and something which we've touched upon earlier in the series is that you don't want to make this journey if you're, if you're going to decide to go for surrogacy, if you're listening and you're thinking about surrogacy, is not to go on a price comparison kind of hunt because this isn't like buying a car. You can't buy a baby. Of course, there's financial costs involved, but I think it's really important that people get 
the legal advice they need to understand mm-hmm. what financial obligations they are and to make sure that when they're doing surrogacy that they're doing it in an ethical way that the mother is being looked after yep. and not for example yep. going to eastern european countries where perhaps the rights of the mother and child aren't protected there's a risk that the child ends up maybe in an adoption yep. house because they're not able to travel home with the parents so i think that's just something that we have to say uh, on the show yeah exactly um, so yeah. if you're listening, uh, please do take advice and do not take the show as legal advice. Please speak to a lawyer in your own country. So I'm going to move on now to my final question for you, which is, can you explain for me what exactly it is that a surrogate gains from this experience? Um, wow, so much. Um, for me, it started with just being able to be pregnant one more time because I loved being pregnant. To be able to give birth one more time and then it became so much more because you make two people incredibly happy. And then after that, you realize it's not just those two people. It's their whole family. It's their friends. You make all of them happy. You are pretty sure that um, there's a child is going to be raised by two people who have really thought this true, who want this child, who love it like like from the beginning and everyone around them as well. It's It's a very humbling experience and it's beautiful i yeah I, I can't really put it in words it's like a feeling of of doing something great for the world almost um but at the same time you're still it's still only a small thing that you do sometimes it feels like just a small thing because you just want to make somebody happy i think that's a really good explanation of it um now, Sana, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure um, getting to speak to you and getting to learn a little bit more about surrogacy. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So thank you for having me. Thank you. <laughs> Sana's comments on the lack of structure to surrogacy in the Netherlands really resonated with me. While Sana and Esfa represent good examples of how surrogacy constructions can and should work, there really needs to be some kind of system in place to make sure every group of people embarking on this journey is able to have a journey just like theirs. The current system is too vague. It works because people make it work, not because it's designed to. I mean, there isn't any design in the first place. Altruistic, regulated or commercial. Surrogates, intended parents, and the child all deserve and need a strong framework to keep everyone safe and healthy. The fact things manage to happen despite the lack of clarity in the Netherlands is only further testament to the work that outreach groups like Svanger for an Ander and Med in the have done in the Netherlands. I really hope the Dutch government and governments across the world begin to move to help clarify the rights of queer parents and those who help them in a way which puts the health and welfare of everybody at the core of any frameworks which are created. Next week is the final exploration of surrogacy in the first series of The Daddy Issue. We're going to be talking to Sjors about his experience becoming a father via the help of a surrogate. I'll see you next week and if you follow the show on social media, maybe even sooner than that. My name is Connor James, and you've been listening to The Daddy Issue.
The Daddy Issue is an independent podcast, produced and presented by me, Connor James. Music by Willem de Boy. Fact-checking and editorial support from Emma Vogt. Our original artwork is by the incredible K-Toys. And a very special thank you this week for her time goes to Sana. We're available on Instagram at the Daddy Issue Pod, Twitter at Daddy Issue Pod, and you can find us on Facebook too by searching for the Daddy Issue. 